blessed to be doing this series together here at church called Known and Loved. And it's my pleasure, my honor to give you the final capstone message of the series we've been talking about, about relationships. And with that in mind, before I get into the final key to uh, having better relationships to with one another, I want to recap real quick the eight keys we've looked at so far. We're just going to go through them real quick. So why don't you read them with me right now. Key number one is prioritize your relationships. Key number two is resolve conflict the smart way. Key number three, let go of grudges. Key number four, speak life-giving words. Key number five, when finding a life partner, look for character. Key number six, when finding a life partner, consider compatibility. Key number seven, when love grows cold, bring God into it. Key number eight, to help you control anger, pray. And today we're doing key number nine. I want to thank Pastor Charlene. I want to thank Pastor Tim, who've been great at uh, just uh, providing so many powerful messages over the course of the series. Let's give them a big hand as well. Let's appreciate them. This morning, I'm here to give you key number nine. Are you guys ready for key number nine? Would you take good, good notes here as a proactive church? Let's learn something today in God's word. Key number nine, if you want to have better relationships with one another, one more thing you want to learn to do, defend yourself against difficult people. Defend yourself against difficult people. Today, we're talking about dealing with difficult people. See, let me be clear on my definition for difficult people today. The fact is this. All of us can be difficult in our own way. Amen. Some of us are really picky eaters. Some of us snore really loud. You know, some of us are really indecisive when it comes to making decisions. We drive other people a little bit crazy because of that. Some of us, we're a bit long-winded. It takes us a while to get to our point. We're all a little bit difficult in our own way. Would you turn to neighbor, give him a high five, and say, I can be a little bit difficult sometimes. That's a fact. Sometimes you are. And sometimes I am as well. We can all be a little bit difficult sometimes. But today, what I want to talk with you on this final episode of Known and Loved is how to deal with those extra difficult people in your lives. These are the people who take the word difficult to a whole nother level for you. These are the people who habitually give you a hard time. It's those people who are very, very demanding on you. They never seem to be satisfied. It's like they're this little dictator always insisting on their way, commanding you to do certain things, even though it's not in their place to do that. It's that person who's very disapproving of you, who's always putting you down, belittling you, criticizing everything you do, making you feel really small. No matter what you do, it's never good enough for them. It's that argumentative person who always seems to want to pick a fight with you, always for just no reason at all. They're always just you know, in a bad mood, and they always seem to want to like pick a fight to, to argue with you about things that don't really matter. It's that person who doesn't really have control over their anger, and so you never really know when they're going to erupt, and sometimes they erupt in really tough ways, and you have to deal with that. It's that person who's always focused on themselves, and they're whining about life and everything that's wrong. Do you know someone like that today? That describes someone in your life, an extra difficult person. Some people call them EDPs, extra difficult people. And see, maybe it's a relative in your life. Maybe it's someone at work. God forbid, maybe it's someone at church for you. Maybe it's a client at work. Maybe it's someone you deal with at school. And and do you have one of those people in your life? And when you see that person, your mood changes. You go from having a great day to having an awful day. You know, when you receive an email from that person, you're like, oh, no. When you, when you get a phone call from that person, like you're, you're just hesitating to pick that up. You, 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 it, goes, it goes to voicemail instead. You know, when you see that person, your heart starts to race, not in a romantic way, but in a I'm scared kind of way. You know, your, your blood pressure goes up. Sometimes you wish that person wasn't around to bother you at all. Is there a difficult person like that in your life today? 
Yeah? Okay, you can nod, but please don't point, okay? Please don't point, yeah? Here's the thing, is that we all have our share of difficult people that we deal with from time to time. And if you don't have someone like that, then maybe just maybe you're the difficult person. I don't know, maybe, maybe, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, kind of, kind of, all right? Here's the thing, here's the thing. How do we deal with those extra difficult people in our lives? Say you've done your best to control your anger. And despite that, that person still is giving you such a hard time with life. Maybe you've done your best to resolve conflict the smart way, the way we talked about in our Known Love series, but that person is not cooperating. That person refuses to play ball. That person refuses to change. What can you do if you're faced with that situation? See, before I go into specifics about what you can do, first I want to address a very common misconception that a lot of Christians have about how Christians should deal with extra difficult people. Some people like, oh, JB, you know, JB, aren't Christians supposed to be kind and gentle and loving? Doesn't the Bible say to bear with one another in love? You know, yes, it does. It does for sure. JB, doesn't doesn't Jesus say to even don't resist an evil person? If someone slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek as well. Don't I have to do that? Well, Jesus does say that. In fact, let's take a look at it right now. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 48 with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 48. Would you read it with me in a big loud voice? One, two, three. It says, you have heard that it was said, I for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. This is one of the most famous sayings from the life of Jesus. And two things I want you to learn from this passage. The first is this, is that from this passage, when Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, it it just goes to show God's standards are perfect. Amen. That none of us, no matter how hard we try, can meet those standards. That's how perfect God's standards are. That's why Jesus came as our Savior. In fact, when you read Matthew chapter 5 in this long Sermon of the Mount, the most famous sermon ever told, you're going to find that God's standards are so high, and if you have any sense of you know, self-understanding at all, you'll realize, you know what, there is no way that I could ever meet those requirements all the time. There's just no way. And that's because we are sinners, we're broken, we need Jesus in our lives. That's why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross for our sins. He he was perfect in ways that we could not be perfect. He was perfect on our behalf so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That's why God is so good. If you believe us, say amen. But there's a second thing I want you to learn from this passage. Is this, is that this passage, Jesus talking about us being people of grace. Everyone say grace is that we are people who received undeserved kindness from God. That is grace. It's good things that we don't deserve. God is a God of grace. He wants us as people who follow him to be people of grace. And that's why our first instinct, our immediate posture when it comes to difficult people is to show grace. Are we to be gracious people? Yes. Are we to try to bear with people in love? Yes. Are we trying to love our enemies? Yes. But here's the thing. What happens when a person abuses the grace that you give them? 
What happens when they don't appreciate what you've done, but instead they try to take advantage of that grace? Are we to be gracious people? Yes, we are. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that Christians should allow themselves to be controlled by, constantly bothered by, held hostage by extra difficult people. Amen. In fact, when you read this passage in the context of the rest of the New Testament, including some of the verses we're going to be looking at today, you're going to learn something, which is that God calls us to love everybody, but he doesn't call us to trust everybody. God calls us to love everybody, but that doesn't mean that you need to be controlled by or held hostage by difficult people in your life. In fact, you want to find a way to love those extra difficult people, be gracious to them, but without them controlling you. How do you do that? We're going to be talking about that today. See, how do you defend yourself against difficult people? How do you love the difficult people in your life without being controlled by them? And I got to credit, you know, so much of this message to a pastor in my life. His name is Rick Warren, and he's one of the most famous pastors in the States, has done amazing things. God has used him in powerful ways. And I remember a number of years ago, he shared these tips with me, and they've helped me so much when it comes to this area of dealing with difficult people. I want to share them with you this morning. Hope you take some good notes in this place this morning. Write this first one down. The first tip. I want to give you this morning is don't take it personally. Will you turn to him and say, don't take it personally? In other words, no matter what that difficult person says, no matter what that difficult person does, no matter how outrageous their behavior may seem, when they're rude, when they're mean, when they're controlling, when they're offensive, and you have no idea where that behavior come from, came from, do your best not to be offended. Do your best not to take it personally. And why? Let me tell you why. It's because one of the biggest keys to being happy in life is having a thick skin. It's the, in fact, I'll tell you this. The happiest and most effective people that I know are ones who are not bent out of shape by every little thing people do and every little comment people make. Instead, they've got a thick skin and they've got a soft heart. Amen. You know, and I want to be that way. I want a thick skin and a soft heart sweet heart. In fact, I was going through the grocery store yesterday, and it was the most prayerful walk I've ever gone through in the grocery store. Do you know why? Because I was preparing this message, I talked about thick skin, sweet heart, and I started looking at the fruit section. I saw a watermelon. I was like, God, I want to be more like a water. I'm not saying this out loud. That'd be weird, but I'm just thinking to myself, man, I want to be like a watermelon. I want a thick skin, but I want to be sweet on the inside. Amen. I want to be tough on the outside, but I want to be sweet on the inside. I want to be like a big orange, not the bubble tea stand big orange, but just an actual big orange. You guys still eat fruit, right? And a big orange, and, and here's the thing. What does a big orange have? It has a thick skin so that even when it gets thrown on the ground, it doesn't change what's on the inside. And it, it, in fact, it's that thick skin that preserves and protects and keeps sweet and pure what is on the inside. I want to be like that. And see, I don't want to be like an apple, where I'm so thin-skinned that every little hit creates a bruise. Every little bump causes a change in my appearance, such that I just get more and more rotten, more and more bruised, more and more bitter on the inside. I don't want to be like a strawberry, where a, a little kid squishes me, steps on me, and it's over. I'm like juice. I don't want to be that way. Amen. Amen. It's about having a thick skin and a sweet, soft heart. It's because one of the keys to being happy in life is having a thick skin and not taking every little thing so personally. Amen? Turn your name and say, don't take it so personally. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 16 with me. Read it in a big, loud voice. One, two, three. It says, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. What does prudent mean? Prudent means wise. Fools get 
caught, get caught up in little things so easily, get offended so easily. But the prudent, the wise, they learn to overlook the silly things that people do, the insults that people give. Look at Proverbs 19.11. says something similar. What does it say? It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And so if someone you find uh, is uh, you know, really kind of doing all these weird things, saying all these things that are outrageous to you, you want to develop a thick skin. If you find that you are someone who gets offended very easily, then you need to develop a thick skin. How do you do that? How do you not take things so personally? It's hard, but a couple things that I'm going to encourage you to do. One thing is you can pray. You can say, God, give me a thicker skin and a tender heart. Make me more like a watermelon or a big orange. Not a thin skin and a hard heart, but a thick skin and a tender heart. You can pray about it. But there's a second thing you can do, and this, write this, you can write this down. The second thing you can do to develop a thicker skin and not take things so personally is this. You can write it down. To help you overlook the offensive behavior of a difficult person, consider the source of their behavior. Consider the source of their behavior. What do I mean by that? In other words, if you want to overlook that person's insult, you want to overlook that person's offensive behavior, you need to learn to look past, you need to look over, look over that person's behavior, look over that person's words, and look to that person's pain. We talked about that a little bit last week, is that hurt people hurt people. And see, what helps me sometimes when, when you know, someone is saying things or doing things that seem really outrageous to me, really either offensive or mean or hypercritical or, you know, just, just being rude, that, I, I try to look past the words and I look past the behavior and I look at the person and I realize that this person has gone through a lot of pain. And this person may have issues that have not been resolved. They may have hurts that have not been healed. And so there's some lack of health in their lives that comes out in these weird ways. Just as Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and that's not really, and so when they act out in these different ways, when they say these outrageous things, that's not really saying so much about you. It's actually revealing what's going on inside them. It's not about you. Turn your say, it's not about you. And when you, when you can see it that way, when you can look over the offensive behavior, when you can look over the words and you can look at their pain, you'll realize that it's really not about me. This is just symptomatic of issues in this person's life. And then you can look at that person with more empathy. You can look at that person without being so caught up in the things they said, the things they did. You can love that person more easily and not take things so personally. Is that helpful in this place today? Amen. You, you, you want to take it too personally. Number two, forgive the person before they apologize. That may sound crazy to you. Have you ever thought this about someone who hurt you really badly? You think, okay, if they give me a proper apology, then I'll forgive them. If they get on their knees and they kiss my feet and they explain with tears in their eyes how wrong they were in every way, then, then I'll forgive them. But see, what's the problem with thinking that way? The problem is this. What if they never apologize? What if they never ask for forgiveness? What if they don't even have a clue how much they hurt you? That happens to us sometimes. That happens to me sometimes. I'll hurt people without even knowing it. What if that person who hurt you has no idea, and now you're waiting for that person to, give, to, to ask you for forgiveness, and they have no clue? That's silly. Are you going to let that person, you know, just uh, their, their, their ignorance keep you from being happy? Or, or say they know that they've hurt you, but then they're too prideful to say anything. They're too selfish or too stubborn to admit anything. Are you going to let that person's stubbornness and that person's pride control your happiness and control your life such that you're holding on to a grudge? No. 
That's silly. See, for as long as you hold on to a grudge, you're going to find you're not hurting that person. You're hurting yourself. You are refusing to forgive that person, and in so doing, you're not doing anything to them. You're doing something to yourself. It's like drinking poison and expecting that person to die from the poison. It's refusing to forgive, and you're, as a result, you don't have peace of mind. You can't enjoy your life. You can't move forward, and that person all the while may have no clue. Don't do that. That's dumb. Instead, save yourself the unnecessary heartache and forgive that person immediately, even before they ever ask you for forgiveness. Look at Luke chapter 23, verse 3. 33 to 34 with me. Read this in a big loud voice. We're talking about Jesus here. What does it say? It says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots to identify with us as sinners. Jesus was crucified in between two criminals and even though Jesus had not done anything wrong. And notice this, is that Jesus is hanging on this cross. Notice that Jesus did not wait for the ones who crucified him or the ones who got him in this position, the ones who were successful in getting him killed. He did not wait for them to apologize before he forgave them. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In fact, what's going on? Even while he's speaking words of forgiveness over them, they are continuing to humiliate him. They are taking his clothes, they're stripping it off him, stripping him naked, casting lots and dividing his clothes. But does, but does Jesus let their lack of an apology stop him from forgiving? No, Jesus was not going to wait for them to ask for an apology before he chose to move on. He wasn't going to go to the grave bitter. He wasn't just doing it for them, he was doing it for himself. So that he could move on and not die in bitterness. Amen. That's what Jesus did. And God calls us to be the same way as well, is that you're only torturing yourself by refusing to forgive. So forgive the person before they apologize. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 with me right now. 1, 2, 3, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. What is forgiveness? See, this is so important. Forgiveness is simply canceling a debt. It's saying, I'm not going to hang on to this right to get back after you, to get revenge, I'm letting it go. You don't owe me anything. I'm not going to insist that you owe me anything anymore. I'm letting go of my anger. I'm letting go of my resentment. I'm going to move on. And here's the thing. Know this. You will never have to forgive anyone more than God has already forgiven you. And because you're going to need more forgiveness in the future, and because hanging on to resentment is not going to hurt, it's going to help you, it's going to hurt you, you might as well learn to forgive the way that Jesus forgave us. Because the fact is this, long before you ever asked for forgiveness, long before you even knew how much you broke God's heart, God already made forgiveness available to you. When we were separated from God because of our sin, when we had no way of reaching him, and because when our sins had broken God's heart, God didn't say, well, I'm only going to forgive if you apologize. No. He went to the cross. He sent his son, Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice. When we couldn't be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect, God sent his son, Jesus, to be perfect in our, in, in our, in our stead. And he, he died on the cross to pay for our sins so that all of our sins could be forgiven long before you ever heard the word God. He did that for you and for me. That's because God is a God who's full of compassion and he loves you with a merciful and forgiving heart. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's what gives us hope, that with God, there was forgiveness long before we even failed. 
And that's what gives us hope today. You and I, we need to do the same. In so doing, we share God's love with those who are difficult. At the same time, we set ourselves free. Got to remember this. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. See, forgiveness is free. Trust is earned. And as Christians, we are commanded to forgive those who hurt us immediately. But we're not commanded to trust them immediately. We're not commanded necessarily to trust them at all. See, forgiveness and trust are two different things. And so if you are habitually being harassed or abused or attacked by someone for your own sake because you were forgiven with an amazing love from Jesus Christ, because you don't want resentment to eat you up inside, because you're going to need more forgiveness in the future, you want to forgive that person. But forgiveness doesn't mean that you trust that person like you did before. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you let that person into your life and let them walk all over you once again. No, trust and forgiveness are two different things, but you need to forgive. Turn your and say, you need to forgive. That's the second thing we can do to defend against difficult people. Number three, write this down. Refuse to gossip about them. Uh-oh. <laughs> Refuse to gossip about them. See, let me ask you this question. When someone treats you badly, what is very often the first thing you want to do? Someone says something about you, says something to you, does something really rude to you, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to find someone else who has nothing to do with the situation, who's not a part of the problem, who's not a part of the solution, and you're like, you won't believe what this person did. And you, you, you won't believe what this person did. You'll type it. We won't, you won't believe what this person did. You'll text it. You won't believe what this person did. You might post it. You won't believe what that person did. Share, share, share. And what is that? That's called gossip. See, gossip is going behind a person's back and unnecessarily telling other people unflattering information, true or not, about them that others don't need to know. That's what gossip is. And the Bible acknowledges that in a way, gossip feels good. The book of Proverbs says that gossip is like choice morsels for your innermost parts. In other words, gossip is like junk food for the soul. But here's the thing, is that it might feel good to say those things, but you know what? It's unloving. You know what? It's not what Jesus would do. It's destructive. It destroys friendships. It destroys families. It can destroy a church. It can destroy business. It can destroy the team that you're on. Look at Proverbs 16, 28. What does it say? It says, a troublemaker. Do we have that? Would you read it with me, Big Loud Voice Church? One, two, three. It says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. You know, some people, they treat gossip as a form of revenge. I'm not going to talk to you and confront you directly about my issue with you. Instead, I'm just going to talk to everyone else about it. Hey, did you guys hear about JV and Shar? You know what happened with JV and Shar? What happened? Hey, you help? No? It, 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 it just, it's just whisperings, right? You're like, what, 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 what happened? What happened? Oh, or, or that, that's one kind of gossip. It's just whispering, just, kind of, just silly rumors. You're just, you have no idea where it comes from. The other one is, is slander. You're making false accusations about that person behind their back. And what is that? That is all gossip. That is immature. See, what gossipers don't realize is that oftentimes the person who looks the worst when you gossip is the gossiper himself is that if you have the habit of gossiping, and if you have the reputation of a gossiper, watch out. Because you're going to be losing the trust of a lot of important people. You may have already lost the trust of some important people. Don't be a gossiper. Turn to me and say, don't be a gossiper. The Bible says we are to love our enemies. And when I gossip, you know what happens? When I gossip, I show that I'm no better than the person that I'm gossiping about. I just go down to that person's level, if not lower. I also show that the person that I'm so mad at, that crazy, outrageous, difficult person, when I gossip about them, I show that even when that person is not even in my presence, they control me. 
It's like, it's just showing that they have control over my life. They get the best of me. They don't even have to be in the room and they can control me if I gossip about them. Why let them get the best of you that way? See, for all these reasons, the Bible commands us, don't gossip. That's why here at Thrive Church, we say that Thrive Church is a no-gossip zone. Amen. 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 It's a no-gossip zone. Turn to me and say, we are a no-gossip zone. When you have an issue with someone, you take it up with them directly. You don't just complain about that person to everyone else. You praise people publicly. If you have to criticize, you talk that person directly and privately. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. What does it say? Read it with me in big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3. It says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. See, don't let a difficult person in your life win by you gossiping all about them. Instead, you want to repay evil with blessing. Trust God to be your defender. That said, if there is someone in your life who's done something criminal, criminally wrong, if there's someone who's done something that's highly destructive, you need to tell someone about it. You need to report it. That's not you gossiping about that person. That's you taking a stand and protecting yourself and the people around you. You've got to understand the difference. Number four, refuse to play their game. Refuse to play their game. Now, you might think, you know what, JB, you don't understand. If I just had a chance to sit down with that person and just very clearly, very logically explain to them what they're doing, why they're doing, what, what, why what they're doing is wrong, then the light will go on. And all of a sudden, they will see the error of their ways, and they'll be apologizing, go, oh, thank you so much for helping me understand. Well, here's the thing. People who are extra difficult in your life don't operate that way. Is that they don't come to their position through reason, And so you can't reason them out of their position. Is that they got into that behavior. They got into saying those kind of things, not because they logically thought it through and thought, okay, therefore I'm going to gossip about this person. Or therefore I'm going to say these things about that person. Therefore I'm going to do these things. No, they did it because of an emotion. And once they're set in that emotion, then you can't just take them out by reasoning necessarily with them. In some cases I find that extra difficult people, sometimes they just want attention. Is that we all, we, cra- we all crave love, we crave approval, but sometimes when we don't get the love and the approval, sometimes extra difficult people, they will try to get, they'll, tr- they'll settle for attention. And, and if it means ha- harassing you a little bit, if it means you know, trying to poke your buttons or push your buttons or to provoke you a little bit, then at least they're getting that attention. And so instead of hopelessly trying to argue with them, you don't play their game. Amen. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. What does it say? It says, the Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. Look at verse 18. It says, Jesus knew they were up to no good. He said, why are you playing these games with me? Why are you trying to trap me? See, Jesus was the master of this. Jesus dealt with more difficult people than you or I will ever have to deal with. And at the top of Jesus' list would be a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they hated Jesus. The Pharisees are constantly playing mind games with Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to, they're often criticizing Jesus. But Jesus would refuse to play their games. They would often want to start arguments with them, and Jesus just wouldn't play their games. He, he, says, I, he says, why are you playing the, these games with me? Why are you trying to trap me? He does that with another guy called Pilate, Pontius Pilate. He's the governor of the region of Judea. This is before he goes to the cross. And, and, and Pilate, he, he's, 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 he's got all these tricky questions to ask Jesus. So, you say you're the son of God. What is truth? And, and you know, Jesus, he doesn't respond. He's like, you know, I'm not going to play 
these games. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 21. What does it say? It says, a quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. You know, when I was a young lawyer, um, I dealt with one person uh, in my life that uh, caused me a, a fair bit of frustration. It wasn't a client. It was someone on the other side of the deal who refused to get their own lawyer. And they thought, thought, they thought they knew the law themselves. They thought, you know, I, I know all about lawyers. I, I, I can be a lawyer easily if, if I want to be. And so and he insisted that he's not going to have his own lawyer. He's just going to do these things himself. And, and it, was such a, it was a simple little thing. And, and despite that, for some reason, you know, whenever he would email me, whenever he would correspond with me, rather than dealing with the simple little thing, he would be firing all sorts of personal attacks against me. And talking about this and that, and and, and and you know, trying to trying to trying to attack me, and and, and you know, like threaten me, and complain about this, and, and making all these illogical accusations. And and I thought to myself at first, you know, if I logically explain to them why what they're doing is a bit off, then maybe they'll see the error of their ways, and they'll apologize, they'll leave me alone. But for some reason, no matter how many emails I would send, explaining as sweetly, as politely, as responsibly as I could the whole situation, that person would just come back with a whole new set of just crazy accusations. And at the, at, it got to the point where it, got, it caused me some frustration, a bit of stress, you know, all these different threats. I, I, at some point, I had, to, I had to consult the governing body of lawyers in our province. And I was like, you know, what do I do about someone like this? And they said, you don't have to listen to this person. You don't have to reply to this person's emails. I was like, you know what? Okay. I'm not going to. And so the, the, the next email he sent, I said this. Thank you for your email. From this day forward, I will not be replying to your emails. And your email address will be blocked from our system. And from that, from that day forward, there was peace in the office. And it just goes to show what I learned from that is that sometimes difficult people will believe whatever they want to believe about you. And if they want to believe bad things about you, nothing you do is going to change their mind. So don't waste your time trying to argue with them. Amen. So, so important. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 21 right now. What does it say? It says, A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. See, how do you disarm an extra difficult person who loves to quarrel, loves to argue? You don't keep the argument going. You walk away. See, once you've tried to reason with that person, and it is clear that that person is just wanting to pick a fight, walk away. It takes two people to argue. If you eliminate yourself from the equation, there's nothing more that person can do. Don't pick up the call. Don't text right back. It takes two to argue, so let the argument die out by, not refu- by refusing to play their game. Turn to him and say, don't play their game. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 10. What does it say? It says, kick out the troublemakers and things will quiet down. You need a break from bickering and griping. And all God's people said... Amen. It's true. Number five, hold your ground and don't give in to them. Like I said before, God is a God of grace, and we are to be people of grace. But that doesn't mean that we let extra difficult people take control of our lives and hold us hostage. At some point, you need to stand your ground. At some point, you need to say, I'm not giving in. And that goes for pastors as well. How many of you know that pastors sometimes deal with difficult people? Amen. <laughs> Not here at Thrive Church, right? Of course, not, not here at Thrive. I'm just hypothesizing oh, in other churches. But, you know, you know, yeah. but this is the thing. Sometimes pastors deal with difficult people. 
and I, I got to tell you this, praise God, the Bible gives very clear instructions on how to deal with difficult people. And the instructions are not put up with them forever and let them wreak havoc in your church. That's not the instruction. You know, the instructions are things like Titus chapter 3, where it tells pastors, hey, pastors, warn a troublemaker once, warn them again the second time, and after that, if they still don't listen, graciously invite them to go somewhere else. Graciously put them out of the church. And that's because at some point, for the sake of yourself and those you love, you need to take a stand and defend yourself against difficult people. You might think, oh, you know what? If we just let them have their way and give them a little bit of power and control, then everything will be okay. No, it won't. No, it won't. Because extra difficult people will never be satisfied. They won't appreciate what you're doing because that's just not the place that they're in. Even Jesus himself. Jesus is the God of all grace. And he shows grace to every single person. He shows grace to you and to me, to everyone in this world. But one day, for those who spit in the face of his grace, Jesus is not going to come as a little suffering lamb. Jesus is going to come as the conquering king and as the judge to defend the honor of his name. It's because Jesus himself is one who holds his ground and doesn't give in. Similarly, though our first instinct and our immediate posture should be to extend grace to people, as Jesus says, we also need to be shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. Be careful not to let difficult people control our lives. Look at Proverbs chapter 1 verse 10. Could you read with him big loud voice? 1, 2, 3, it says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. Proverbs 25, 26, what does that say? It says, like a muddied spring and a polluted well, so is a righteous person who gives in to a wicked person. Turn neighbor and say, hold your ground, don't give in. Finally, last point, and we're going to close. If you want to learn to deal with difficult people in a, in a smart, healthy, loving way, if you want to defend yourself against difficult people, love them without letting them control you, then number six, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. See, you can't control what others think or say about you, but you have 100% control of how you respond. And do you know how you measure a person's emotional and spiritual maturity? How, do you know how you measure your own spiritual maturity, your own emotional maturity? It's not in how you treat those that are really good with you. It's actually how you respond to those who mistreat you. It's how you respond to those who spit in your face. It's how you respond to those who misunderstand you. Do you get even with them? Do you spit back in their face? When they gossip about you, do you gossip about them? When they hurt you, do you hurt them back? See, if that's you, then that shows that in terms of your emotional maturity and your spiritual maturity, you're no better than them. But the thing is this, real love loves those who are hard to love. And as Rick Warren would say, real love is loving people even when they're spitting in your face. That's what happened with Jesus. And that doesn't mean giving in to them and letting them have their way, no. But it means refusing to treat them with evil, but overcoming evil with good. Look at Romans 12, 19 to 21 with me. Would you read it in a big, loud voice? We read this last week in another context, but it applies so much in this context as well. Read this with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. It's our last verse for today. Read it with me, the big loud voice. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. 
because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so when you're with that extra difficult person, when they are totally critical of you, when they're demeaning toward you, when they belittle you, when they offend you with what they say and do, when they do all these crazy things and you're like, why are they doing all this? Then you want to remember is that don't take it personally. Look past their behavior. Look past their words and look at their pain. Forgive before they even apologize. Don't let resentment kill you. You forgive them to set yourself free. Number three, don't gossip about them. Don't use your words in destructive ways, even if they have. Number four, you want to be someone who's able to say, I'm not going to play those games. Instead, I'm going to hold my ground. I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going to give in. And finally, I'm going to overcome evil with good. Even when they're doing evil to me, I'm going to do the right thing. Even when they insult me, I'm going to be as kind as I can. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. That's how Jesus treated sinners like us. His son rises on the evil and the good. And when we were evil, he still shone on us. That is the grace of God. And if you will respond the way that Jesus did, his light will shine on your life as well. You will inherit a blessing. It's because you know that God is on your side. You know you're a child of the Most High God, and you can trust God that no matter what difficulty you're going through today, no matter what difficult person has been bothering you in this season, that He will be the one to vindicate you. He will be the one to protect you. He will be the one to defend you. That's how you defend yourself against difficult people. It's trusting in Jesus and doing it His way. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'm going to invite you guys in just a second.